Well, here we are again, episode 160. And as Woody Allen said, 80% of success in life is just showing up. So thank you for showing up this week. Hopefully you've noticed there's a lot more to Instec these days in the podcast and our event. And thanks to the hundreds of people that are willing to talk to us each month, we've also been able to get a really good idea about what you care about, whether you're at an insurer, working in a tech company, or just curious. Now, Robin Mertens is at the helm of our next report on algorithmic underwriting. And this week, he is talking to Andy Yeoman, CEO and co-founder of Concerus. Now, Concerus is probably best known for its Quest platform that helps insurers track and underwrite ships. And you can learn about that when I spoke to Andy for episode 91. But these days, Concerus is offering a lot more than just tracking ships. And Andy himself has a quite a compelling vision for what the future of underwriting will look like. I'm Matthew Grant, and I'm delighted to say that this week we have confirmed our 10th full-time person joining at Instec, and this week we've had our second live event in London. Next up, 9th of November, sponsored by ISI, and details are on the website. And finally, as you may know, you can get your CII, that's Chartered Insurance Institute, credits towards your continual professional development from our podcast by listening to it and or reading the episode notes. The learning goals for this are in the notes on the website, www.instec.com. London. Now, back to Andy and Robin. Well, welcome, everybody. I'm joined today by Andy Yeoman. He's the CEO and co-founder of Concirus. Andy's here today to talk with me about what he's doing at Concirus, but also about algorithms. Um, we have a report coming out about algorithmic underwriting and commercial insurance. Uh, and we've written a, a practitioner's guide, a kind of um, back to basics to help people understand. And, and who better to get on the podcast with me but someone whose website says, in the future, all commercial risks will be assessed algorithmically and traded digitally. Well, I, I thought that was a good, succinct and punchy way of uh, determining what the future looks like. Andy, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now, you're a seasoned podcast pro, having um, featured earlier um, in, in our podcast series, 6th of March, 2020. Um, and the podcast we called then A Connected Future for the Commercial World. Uh, are you still doing your, your connected world stuff at Caceres? We absolutely are majoring on the connected world. Uh, one of the areas that we are uh, pushing further is what does a connected world actually mean? As technology vendors, we get very comfortable in our own sort of nomenclature and throw these buzzwords around. But when you get into the market more widely, explaining what that means becomes a bit of a challenge. From our perspective, that connected world is very much linked to the Internet of Things, which is the censoring up of the world, whether it be an asset that you're insuring, or whether it's an iWatch that I'm wearing or a device in my car or something in my house. Everything seems to be having sensors attached to it. I read recently that this growth market is growing at something like 40% a year compounded. But from an insurer's perspective, you know, make it very simple. As the world connects, what this means is that everything about the assets that you insure, which was either unknown or unknowable, can now become known. And when you start to know information about how, where and when these assets are used, it, it fundamentally changes how insurance products can be created and operated. And is the focus still marine? You, you, it was, you, were, you, you sort of started life and got good traction, I thought, in Hull and, and the marine market. 
Interestingly, our, our, we started as a generalist. We came up with the notion that IoT and data-driven uh, insurance was probably the way forward. Uh, and we got a lot of people nodding and saying, that's very interesting, but could you show us how this could work in a given market, which is why we decided that after some research to go into the marine market, we've been you know, reasonably successful in that market. But actually, our platform and the technology can apply to, to, to any market. So what we've now done is opened ourselves up to uh, other possibilities. You know, we have customers today working in marine for sure, also in logistics, uh, in the supply chain side. Uh, we have uh, some in personal lines of motor. We have commercial motor customers, and we're just getting our first products into the property market. So you know, it's absolutely changing. So, Andy, are you just a data source or are you actually providing the algorithms with which underwriters are, are pricing these risks? We provide both in the marine market and with our other customers. One of the services that we add is to go away and curate unique data sets, uh, which we've absolutely done in the marine space. Uh, and that, that, that provides the behaviours of those assets that I, that I described earlier. So in the marine example, it could be how far does a ship travel? What's its average speed? What weather is it traveling in? Which ports is it visiting, etc.? In, in motor, it could be how fast you go around corners, what roads you're using. But we go from a situation where our customers have uh, a paucity of data to uh, an abundance of data. So in the marine market, here's a market that's been using like five factors. So the class of the vessel, the tonnage, uh, the flag that it might be flying, etc. Uh, sort of five, six, seven parameters to, to us now having about 1500 parameters. So what our algorithms do is they build dynamic pricing models based on which of those behaviors and which combinations of those behaviors uh, predict the risk. And in fact, the first stage is actually to predict the, the loss, both the frequency and the severity of the loss. And then we go on to turn that into a price for people. So I would say that in 90% of our customers, we are the source of their, their risk pricing. In the report, we made the observation that, and I'm not trivialising uh, algorithms, they're difficult to build, but that 90% of the hard yards that goes into producing uh, really effective underwriting algorithms in the commercial world is in getting your data sorted out, both internal data, sorting out the data that you, that you, you run your business on, but the external sources of data. Is, is that an experience you share? I mean, is that the difficult bit in, in reality? There's no denying your point, which is that you know, the algorithms are fed by data. So you know, people need to have data in order to, in, in order to do that. Uh, the challenge is how they get there. So uh, if I deal with the external first and come back with the internal, from an external perspective, as you get into these large, complex sort of specialty markets, I, I don't think it's economically viable for any individual party to sort of curate and build the data sets. So I don't think they're going to get the return on it. So I think there is a role for companies like like ours in, in pulling together these industry-led data sets. From an internal perspective, you know, transforming that data from uh, what, they've, what they've got, some messy, unstructured data, into something that's structured analytics ready, that's, again, a role for technology companies. Uh, it, doesn't, it, it certainly doesn't need to be rekeyed and done manually. We coined the phrase digital fracking. Uh, oh, I like that. Um, um, you know, as, as a notion, because you know, when you look into the you look into the insurer of the future, you've got people saying the insurer of the future is going to have I don't know, a thirty percent lower cost base than the current insurer. And you go, well, where does that come from? As a chief exec, if I'm sitting with an organisation chart, you know, which which thirty percent don't I have? Yeah, because everyone's very busy. So my metaphor is, you know, it's not like it's a, 
a, a vat of oil you can drill down to and suck that cost saving out. You know? It's like shale gas. It's trapped. This is trapped in, as I say, inefficient data, poor processes and suboptimal technology. Our role, and I think the role of the insurance generally, is to, is, to, is to be these digital frackers. One example is what we just talked about, which is submissions. If I can go through 200 emails and tell you these are the five you should pay attention to based on the rules that you've, you've given me, then that drives enormous efficiencies in the organization. And similarly, you know, we can you analyze all 200 of them and it gives you enormous insight into what's going on in the market more widely. That's how we get to these areas and savings. Do you think the commercial underwriters are ready to do that yet? I approach this question slightly warily because my thesis is if you're a portfolio, if you're an underwriter doing a portfolio approach, what you're effectively doing is saying, I'm not sure I need to know everything about my risk. I'm not sure I need all that data. I'm pretty comfortable provided I've got a good diversified portfolio with the amount of knowledge I already have. Whereas what you, where you're going and where I, by the way, I agree is, you know, almost towards a sort of true technical price of risk. So you really do know everything about the risk and, and it, it's a sort of fundamentally different uh, notion. Presumably you've got traction. Is, is the market ready? I mean, what do you think? I think it is ready, but it's, it's, it's an incremental change. So, you know, we absolutely don't advocate that there's no sort of human in the loop, as it, as it were. That's not in any way to way what we're saying. Uh, and I fundamentally believe that it's all about portfolios because you're trying to make money in the aggregate, not necessarily on, on an individual risk. And as much as we might, we, we might like to try and automate things, there are certain dynamics in the market, such as a broker offering, well, if you write a, a piece of this risk, I'll give you a, a line on this risk. So that the to and fro goes in. So the, the portfolio approach absolutely works. But then going back to that example of, you know, do a bit of A, I'll give, give you a bit of B. We need to understand what, what, what am I signing up to with A and what am I getting with B? That's where the, uh, the, the algorithmic approach uh, can, can help in by, by informing. It's not making the decision, but it's by in, in informing the decision and making that negotiation between broker and underwriter more effective. I think that's how it's going to work. You have a marvellous analogy, which I shamelessly pinched uh, for our report about comparing where where we're going with this commercial underwriting with the way we have navigated of old and will in the future. So I don't steal your thunder twice. Share it with the listeners, because I I think this is really good fun. For sure. So in trying to look at the journey that we're going on, um, it struck me that there's a similar journey that us here in London will be very familiar with, which is what happened with black cab drivers uh, leading to to Uber drivers. So black cab drivers, they get the knowledge get in a taxi uh, and much like underwriters today they have they, they have the knowledge but if you look at what happened with black cab drivers and technology and the interfaces you had a black cab driver then you or you had an a to z or whichever uh, and then technology is, is an algorithm comes come into that market the first was uh, a, a product called yahoo maps somebody may remember this it's 20 years ago so may not but you would go in and you say I'm going, i want to go from a to b and you could print out a set of directions, which is which was which was great. You had to drive whilst reading those directions. That was a bit of a challenge, and it had some limitations. You know, if you got lost or you got stuck in a traffic jam, it couldn't 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 help you in those situations. That problem was then solved by the next generation of technology, which was TomTom, where the TomTom solved the problem of where are you now? You still had the route, yeah, but it can solve wrong. So if I took a wrong turn, it can get me back onto the the correct area. And then you saw people who would get stuck under bridges, and then they would drive through rivers and you ask them, well, why did you, why did you drive that lorry under that bridge? 
And they said, well, that's because the system told me to turn that way. So I did it. You know, so it's also like this abdication of individual responsibility. But now we're in a situation where we've got Google Maps. And the thing about Google Maps is it gives you choices. Yeah, so if you turn left, it's one mile shorter. If you turn right, it's 10 minutes quicker. I never have to worry about, am I going to get there? I never worry about if it's the, the right route. So if I look at how that works with underwriting, the underwriters of today are the black cab drivers of yesterday. They've, they've got that knowledge. What we've seen is technology is going to go on a similar journey. So that knowledge is going to be systematized and analyzed by the algorithms and played back to them. And the point with the Google Maps metaphor is that everybody in your organization should be as good as the best person. So as an underwriter on your own, then you know everything you need to know. But if you are part of a team, then I need every underwriter to be good as the, the best underwriter. I mean, my people in London and New York and Singapore to be acting on the same information. That's where the technology helps, especially in this area of hybrid working and the ability for us to have a common view about the same risk and for the system to recommend decisions. And the direct equivalent would be if you write this business at this price with these deductible structures, your loss ratio will go from 90 to 92. If you write it with this price and these deductible structures, it might go from 90 to 88. Who knows? Yeah, it's an extreme example. But again, you make the decision, but the, the, te- the technology will support and, and help you. Where are so, we on that uh, analogy now, do you think? Are, are we, I mean, you, you said that underwriters are a bit like black cab drivers of old. I, I mean, I, some are at least sat nav stage, are they? It varies from organisation to organisation. I think that some of them are absolutely at the sat nav stage. And it varies within the organization themselves. So some people will use the technology more, more, more than others. I'm not sure that all of the piece parts exist just yet for, for the, for the full Google Maps version, but we'll get there. But I, as you know from our company, you know, we have more than 20, 25 people today using our algorithmic behavioral data, using our pricing models, using our technology to assess risk and guide the decision. Our technology doesn't bind the risk. Um, yeah, that decision is left to the underwriter. So for me, it's like having an expert in the passenger seat on, on this particular one. You see black cab drivers today with Google Maps running as well, yeah, or Waze or whichever it is. So they rely on their knowledge, but they've got they've got technology supplementing those decisions. That's the stage that we're at. Again, this is a sort of feature of the report, and I'm keen to, to pick your brains on it. Um, it seems to me that in the motor and the household markets, they've effectively had algorithmic pricing for a long time, maybe a decade or so at least. It's increasingly smart. Uh, It's had a lot of data to learn from. They're commoditized products. So, you know, there are patterns that they can um, pick up and learn from. The commercial insurance world hasn't got to the same level of uh, commoditization. Each risk has its own issues associated with it. What do you think that means in terms of specific issues for the commercial insurance world to, 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 to face down? I'm thinking here, you know, does the technology take longer to learn? Can we get to the same levels of sophistication, do you think? I think we can get to a different level of sophistication. Yeah, so clearly, if you go into a volume market like home or auto, you know, the amount of data and, and uh, transactions that you're processing and your claims frequency is much higher. So that will guide the algorithms. And we, we're not in that market. You know, so if you take you know, the specialty lines that we that we work across, um, we're clearly not at, not at that stage. What there is, however, is there's a huge amount of behavioral data which can start to feed the decision. And within within the markets that we operate, uh, there are 
certain aspects of it which absolutely can be automated. If you go back to marine, you know, one market we're very familiar with is whilst I may not want to automate the overall pricing, certain elements such as the war, war coverage and, and incursions uh, into war zones, they can absolutely be handled by technology. In cargo, you could or you can uh, absolutely monitor the contents of a container so you can have a parametric policy based on that. But putting together you know, one risk on one container being parametric, that's straightforward. You know, if someone walks and says, here, this, I've got an entire program of insurance for this organization, that's a difficult one for the uh, for the algorithms to get their sort of heads around. So you know, there's always going to be someone in there. But our goal as, as, as a technology provider is to make sure that you provide as much data to make the best decision that you can. I mean, there's always a uh, an end of year, why did you write that risk at that price? You know, and going back to you know, people stuck under bridge, if it was an underwriter, you know, it's why did you write that risk at that price? If your answer is because the algorithm told me to do it, well, then you've got a whole slew of problems you're going to have to deal with. But uh, I, I think having having a predictable and systematic way of uh, of assessing this, and then there's the old adage, you know, if you, if you, how do you eat an elephant? Well, one bite at a time. What we look for is let's solve problem and then a different problem and then a different problem. And that's how automation will help these these markets uh, operate more efficiently. Thank you. I mean, that, that sort of is the way we're approaching these reports, really, which is kind of, I think, try and set the terminology and the issues. And then we'll look at how you get started. And then and then and because it is a journey, the, 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 the levels of sophistication that you go through towards, uh, you know, the sort of things that you're talking about with the behavioral uh, analytics, the ability to understand how your assets are going to behave, these kind of things um, uh, get sort of built up over time to something that really is quite sophisticated. On that very subject, this is a sort of area where I get particularly grumpy because almost everybody involved in this algorithmic world uses the, uses the expression artificial intelligence. And, and, I, and I'm a sort of, I have a sort of old school view of artificial intelligence, which is uh, it means intelligence. In other words, the ability to actually exercise some sort of cognizant capability. If I read the punditry, then it seems to me that almost everybody's selling anything in the entire insurtech world is AI. Does that bother you? Yeah, it doesn't bother me at all. If the technology can help you do a better job, it doesn't really matter what the name on the lid is. And if it's just technology for technology's sake, then no one's going to want to, um, want to buy it. So for me, it's about can we make, in this case, the underwriters more, more effective? And, and, how, and how do we do that? Uh, I take the train into London. And I read the FT. Here I've got my big broadsheet paper. I'm working the FT. Uh, now I've adopted technologies. I've got an iPad. So I'm reading the same FT, but now in a different form uh, to now I'm using Apple News. And Apple News is now starting to filter for me based on what articles I spend time reading. That to me is where, again, where, where technology is, is, is very subtle. It, you know, it's creeping in. And, and, and helping you be more productive, in this case, in your in, in your commute. If you ask somebody, stopped them on the train and said, are you using machine learning or AI? They said, I don't know, I'm just reading the paper. I agree. I mean, it is slightly like the blockchain thing that also got me grumpy. I don't, I'm not permanently grumpy, by the way, but but I, you know, it, it became about the blockchain rather than what the blockchain did. And, and now blockchain is being regularly used and and it's the focus is not on the blockchain, but actually what it achieves. And I think it's the same with AI. It's, it's what it, it is. Any one of these phrases, if yeah. someone comes in and says we're an AI company and you go, oh, that's interesting. That means that neither of you know what they do. You have to be able to change a business outcome. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you're just technology for the sake of it. And none of us need that. So um, cheer me up. Now that I've entered a temporary grumpy phase. 
other signs of encouragement? I mean, you are you're on the front line there, Cyrus. Take up good. You know, are, are you feeling bullish? Yeah, we are. We're feeling very bullish. Uh, as I mentioned, sort of my opening comments. You know, we we see ourselves in the middle of a world where there's more data than intelligence. And, you know, we're not going to be able to sift through it. You know, if, if I were to, if I were to send you a thousand emails tomorrow and say one of them's got a nugget in it, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't thank me for, for the nugget. You'd curse me for the thousand emails. The technology has to play a part. What we've uh, been focusing on in our, in our customers recently, we've delivered some very, uh, some very interesting solutions. So one of them is uh, around what I talked about with submissions is unfortunately we're, we're in an age where there, uh, there were some of the brokers are just emailing submissions around the market. So, if you're an underwriter and you've got it 200 in your inbox, yeah, that's just not helpful. So we recently implemented for one of our one of our customers the ability to handle that all uh, in an automated fashion. So the system opens the emails, the system pulls the information out from the attachments, it pre-rates the risk and triages it into a new new inbox for them to pay attention to. And that is estimated that <clears throat> the customer estimated that their their time to process uh, a given uh, risk uh, went down from eight hours to 30 minutes uh, because once the data was captured, it could then be API'd into all of their other platforms. That for me is a, is a, is a win for technology. You know, it's actually you know, being able to use use people's sort of experience intellect where it makes sense because you might hire an underwriter, pay them however much you pay an underwriter, and then get them to do menial administrative work. No one wants to do that. So for me, that's where technology can play a part. It comes out that digital fracking. You know, it's it, that's where you that's where you add value. I agree. And, and what did lies you up? If you did, did chew me up, uh, chew me up further. What lies ahead next twelve months for Consirus DC? Any any plans in terms of you know, strategic or technology? Technology. What's what's twenty twenty two look like? Yeah, 2022. 2022 is a, is a big year for us. We've got some grand plans which we've got in place today. You know, we are, we've expanded ourselves geographically this year. We've put down uh, early sort of footings in both Asia and in the US. You know, we've expanded our exec team. Um, our, our, our new chief commercial officer is based in the US. So it's very much for, our, for us the beginnings of a significant foray into the, the, the US and into the Asian markets. Uh, so that's point number one. Point number two, we're working on some really exciting and innovative uh, geospatial technology uh, ability to extract data from images uh, as it relates to commercial risks. Again, that's going to be really exciting. Um, we'll be public on that hopefully in the coming weeks. And then moving into different lines of business. We're working with with, with, with other customers outside of ones that we've traditionally been be, been known to to work. So we are absolutely expanding our footprint into other lines of business with equally compelling solutions. So no, we're really excited about it. You know, it's a, we were still very much at the beginning of this journey. You know, we're in the first innings of, uh, of this use of data and algorithms. And I think we're going through a, a decade long cycle where people are in, in, invested it, you know, and the, the winners in the future are going to be the people that have curated a, a strong data asset and are able to leverage it in, in short order. Yes, I, and I, I have a, a, a thesis too that, that once you get ahead, you can stay ahead. And I think what I mean by that is if you're good at this and you've got your data sorted out and you're picking up more and more data sources and, and understanding their relative values and you've got genuine machine learning uh, in the background that's improving the quality of the assessments being made, that, that you kind of get ahead and stay ahead. I mean, is it, do you think that's right? I mean, you have more experience than me. 
Yeah, I think that it depends how you use the technology. One of the benefits of age, or a few benefits of age, is you get to see trends and patterns. You know, and with each iteration of technology, whether it be the internet, internet or sensors or algorithms, etc., you get to see how people are, use the technology. And I've seen that there are, broadly speaking, three organizational responses to a given technology, and we see this happening right now. Response number one is you could ignore it. Oh, I don't need this. I've always worked for the last 300 years. Why do I need it? That's great. And certain people will ignore it. Certain people will adopt it. So they'll go, well, this is interesting. We can use this to supplement what we're doing today. But the third category for me is the most interesting. It's a category that I call the but-fors. And the but-fors are, but for this technology, my business model won't work. So if you look at Uber, go, you know, Uber, but for things like Google Maps, their business just fundamentally couldn't work. There's no, there's no, with Google Maps is down, let's use a different technology. What we've not seen is the but-fors in the commercial lines. We've seen a but for in, 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 in personal lines, you know, with, uh, uh, people like Lemonade. But it'll be fascinating to see the, the, the where the but falls emerge and whether that be in underwriting or in, in claims handling or a combination of the two. When you've put this technology at the very center of what, what makes you have a competitive advantage, that for me is an exciting stage of the market. Yeah, and we're beginning to see them, uh, come out, you know, in, in, in the space in small areas, but, when we see the first specialty but for, that's going to be an exciting time. Now you really have cheered me up. Thank you so much for um, shamelessly allowing me to um, steal your Google Maps analogy for my report. Temporarily, I'm not going to steal data fracking. I'll, I'll pretend. Uh, digital frackers. Yeah, you can. So we've got Google Maps, digital frackers and but fors. Send me the royalty checks. I don't want to look like I just nick everybody else's stuff, but, but there is a element of that going on. Uh, Andy, thank you so much. Good luck with everything in 2022 and beyond. It's, it sounds like exciting times lie ahead. For um, those who are interested, we'll be coming up with the first of a series of four reports that Instech London is doing around uh, algorithmic underwriting in, in the commercial and specialty lines. And if you're interested in participating in those, then hello at instech.london uh, is how you, how you get in, involved. In the meantime, Andy, thank you. And we'll see you soon, I hope, at the Steelyard. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you. Well, look out for our algorithmic underwriting report coming out later this week. And then next out will be our perspective on crypto insurance led by Henry Gale. Now, as I mentioned, live events are back and you can sign up at London to see us. And maybe you can even join us on stage for the famous Instec London shout out. 60 seconds chance to tell the world about what you're up to. The US has finally opened its doors to the UK. So I will be on stage at the Property Insurance Report Conference or PIR in Laguna Beach from 15th of November. Finally, let us know how we can help you or any stories you've got that you'd like us to share. Matthew Grant or Robin Mertens on LinkedIn or hello at instec.london.